Welcome back into another episode of the Talking Ball Y'all podcast. As always, we thank you for your time. We appreciate you listening. I'm Clay Sweet, along with the co-host and producing director of this program, Jeff Lassett. Jeff, welcome into another week. Yep, another week down. Uh, got some things going on crazy-wise, but hey, uh, another week down and getting close to the end of this high school football season. Yep, it would have made a lot of sense, Jeff, probably for both of us to take this week off. But we took a week off a couple weeks back, and one thing we've tried to do for our listeners and for ourselves is uh, when we have a season or have a season going, we're real careful on when uh, we miss an episode. And so doing that a few weeks back, of course, with a hurricane kind of bearing down on the Gulf Coast, which is where we record from, we would have took this week off, but we did that a couple weeks ago, and we try to be consistent for our listeners and, and for ourselves. So um, not ideal, much like 2020, but uh, you fight through it, you find a way, and that's what we're going to do. Maybe an abbreviated version of the podcast today just because of everything that I mentioned. But um, with everything, with all that being said, it may be a good time to sit down and enjoy this podcast and think about something different. So we hope that we can provide that escape. And Jeff, escape high school football has kind of been our outlet to do that. And so let's start there. When you look at um, the big programs in 6A, Oak Grove um, sitting there at 7-0, and had a tight ball game against Brandon last week and will face Pearl this coming week. But, boy, Oak Grove just continues to impress at 7-0. and Yeah, and they look like they're the real deal. I mean, of course, we say that, and I don't and I don't say that for people to say, well, they are the real deal. But, I mean, you look at them in, with the naked eye like we've done and watch them play, but then you look at them on paper and then look at them on film as well. Uh, either way you look at it, paper on film or live watching them play, uh, they've got it rolling up there. And it wouldn't surprise me again. They've been there, uh, you know, just last year. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me again if they're up in the vet uh, for playing for that Sid State State Championship. Yep, and what would be uh, no surprise if it's a rematch. Oxford sitting at 7-0 and as well, and uh, they took care of Olive Branch last week. So you've got the two teams that competed for a state title in 6A both rolling through undefeated. So that could be a rematch of what was really a good football game last year coach Cutcliffe in that Oxford club was able to take it for the state title but boy what a matchup that would be to get uh, a replay of that ball game uh, from a year ago that would be something else there in a 6A title fight yeah it really would be to see them too I mean very rarely do you see teams make it once you know maybe twice in a program but then to see like Oak Grove there year after year and then Oxford, but then to have the two teams match up again, uh, basically a, you know a rematch of last year's state championship, it would be uh, it would be something to see, and it's not of course it's not out the question. Yep, not out the question. And you talk about somebody making it back to a game for a few years in a row. Let's look at Picking at the five A level, a close. Of course, their closest, uh, that's where Jeff and I are, where we record from most of the time, is they are in Picune. They are 6-0, excuse me, what am I saying? They're 8-0, uh, Jeff, 
in 5A, and I would think odds on favored right now that staff at Picayune doesn't want the kids to hear this. They probably don't even want to hear this. But if you're doing an odds on favored in 5A, you would have Picayune uh, playing in that 5A state title game. A lot of football left to be played, but Picayune has certainly been dominant under the uh, first-year tutelage there of Cody Stogner. And what a performance him and that staff and this team have put together through eight ball games. Yeah, to come in 8-0, uh, you know it's got to be uh, kind of a tremendous weight somewhat lifted off of uh, head coach Cody Steiner. Like you said, first year in, of course, following in big footsteps uh, with uh, Dodd Lee uh, retiring from the program last year with the success he has had. So you never want to be the guy to follow that guy uh, and then have a down year. But, man, this Maroon Tie team has just jumped right in uh, you know, led by uh, head coach Cody Steiner out out to an eight no star as you mentioned. Play Pascagoula this week. Pascagoula's three and four uh, coming into this ball game. Uh, got some people, you know, talking around town here that they're not just gonna, you know, they're they're supporting the tie and they're getting out there. But this this game's always been tough for Picayune uh, and Pascagoula. Picayune's had the edge on them uh, for the past couple years, but Pascagoula will be ready to play uh, for this Friday night. Yeah, when you look at Picayune, Jeff, it's impressive in the way that they've done it. You look at 8-0 and you say, well, no, duh, that's impressive. But they five games over 40 points for this club. So it shows, look, they can high end, they can uh, outscore you. But then they also won that fifth fight earlier in the year against East Central, a 14-7 game that Picayune had to come from behind and win. And I like that. I like to be able to see a team that can win it both ways and I also like that that tight ball game. It that staff was in a tight ball game. Those kids were know how to win a tight one when you have to come from behind. And it's an impressive win over East Central because it's East Central's only loss. So really, Picayune has all the makings to to get back to that state championship ball game. Came up short last year against West Point, but maybe it's the year for for Picayune, and what a tale that would be for Coach Stogner in his first year. Yeah, Coach Cody Stogner, uh, you know, and that, that whole coaching staff, you know, it showed a lot about their ball club in that tight game. Uh, of course, they had some turnovers, and East Central had some turnovers, but it's how you overcome. And, you know, like you mentioned, they, they can blow you out the water, and they'll run it for, you know, and score seven touchdowns on the ground or eight touchdowns on the ground. They'll score every time they touch the football. But then on the other hand, as you mentioned, like in East Central, they'll go some three and outs and punts, and they'll have some fumbles and some mistakes. But that ball club bounces back uh, pretty good. The defense uh, stands strong in them tight ball games, and they were asked a lot uh, of in that East Central game, and they stood up to the task winning that 14-7. Yeah, it's really interesting to see the way the years played out for the Maroon Tide. They had the talented tailback, the sophomore, Dadell, went down earlier in the year, and everybody was kind of looking around and saying, well, man, he was going to be, you know, the stud puppy in that backfield. You knew what samples was going to be coming back, or you thought you knew, but the senior's been really better than advertised. I think Picune really knew what they had in him and kind of, uh, that coaching staff from seeing him develop and what the player he was as a junior. But from outside looking in, you looked at his numbers from Cam Thomas a year ago and you said, who's going to fill those shoes? Well, it's been a group effort, 
but it's been led by Samples. Samples, the senior uh, tailback, has had a tremendous year from Picune. And then I know if Cody was on with us, he'd say, Clay, you're forgetting that offensive line. No, we're not. That offensive line has led the way and done a good job regardless of who they've given it to in the backfield. Let's bump down and look at the 4A district uh, or division, Jeff. That classification is – I'll get it right here in a minute. Uh, that classification is a week out from having uh, their playoff begin. And so you start to look at the playoff picture – and near and endear to us is Popperville because that's who we follow each and every Friday night. And just how we sing the praises of Picune, you've got to do the same thing with Popperville. Popperville was able to win another district championship. They've won four of the last five in that district and five of the last seven district titles. You talk about a program and pure dominance there. Uh, Coach Beach, that staff, those players, mercy, Jeff. That's unreal, really, when you look at uh, consistency and a high-end level of excellence and repeating it year after year. That's exactly what Popperville's done. Yeah, and I mentioned it earlier, you know, when we were talking about uh, teams making it to the state championship, to do it once is great, to do it twice is, is good. You can consider yourself a dynasty almost. But if you look at what Coach Jay Beach has built and his coaching staff has built at Poplarville, as you mentioned, five of the last seven South State championships. Think about that for a minute. There's some programs, 6A, 5A, 4A, or you can go all the way down, that don't even – compete or make it to the South State Championship? Maybe not even Yeah, win. three three of the last – Jeff, just to jump in, three of the last four uh, South State Championships, five of the last seven district championships, just to jump in there. Yeah, yeah, no, that, but that's – but, I mean, just, just them numbers are ungoshly to begin with because, you know, some people don't even make it and play in their district championship game uh, ever in, in the school. But to be but to be – in in that situation that these Popperville Hornets, uh, every year when this team, I say reloads because, of course, they graduate seniors, but every year when this team comes back from a season and gets ready for the next, they know what pedigree has been built right there at Popperville. And uh, to win the, and to clinch the district this past weekend at Greene County with a tremendous win, 48-7 to over Greene County, was just something, uh, another notch, uh, on that belt that, that Coach, Coach Jay Beach and the Popperville Hornets can put. Absolutely. Popperville sitting at 5-3 and three overall, 4-0 and oh in district play. Uh, they will be off this Friday. We're scheduled to play Summerall. Summerall uh, has, uh, has been hit with COVID and, and caused some forfeits there for Summerall. So Popperville going to have basically a week off, a bye week, before the playoffs start due to that COVID cancellation. When you look at Popperville, started out with that real tough schedule, Jeff Davis, uh, D'Iverville, and Picune. But since Popperville's dropped back down in the 4A classification, that average margin in the 4A games, both district and I think Stanislaus win thrown in there, when you do the math, the average score would be 44 to 9 against 4A class. And so, man, they have just really been excellent, complete um, offense and defense. That margin there tells you the whole story on what they've been like in 4A football. Yeah, it really has. And if you talk to Coach Jay Beach, he tell, he'll tell you he likes to get his 
uh, teams all checked early, and they play up. They and it's super up. I mean, uh, of course, Jeff Davis was a three A school, but they were the defending three A state champions. So uh, they played down in the class, but talent wise, they played up. If in my opinion. And, I mean, you see the – Yeah, absolutely. They play the Diabervilles. They play the Picayunes. They play the Mandevilles. I mean, they'll play anybody. They got the old USM logo. They'll play anyone, anywhere, anytime during that pregame portion or preseason portion, so to speak, of their schedule. Uh, And that just gets their team ready to – uh, to hit the ground running when it comes to district. And you talked about that win over Stanislaus. Stanislaus is playing good football right now with Moss Point down on the coast. So it wouldn't be surprising to see them two uh, match up maybe in the playoffs as the as the uh, playoff seeding goes on. Yep, and you mentioned uh, both Picune and Iverville as losses. When you look at those two clubs, uh, 6A, and Picune and Iverville, when you combine them, they're 15 and 0 in Iverville, which Coach Dolan's done down there. Uh, 7 and 0. They'll have a huge matchup at Harrison Central this weekend. But just a note on Harris on Iverville, Justin Wiley. So many people around our state are familiar with him, but we had a chance to see him. Well, we've seen him back to back years. And most Friday nights, if not all Friday nights, the Iberville is going to have the pleasure of having the best guy on the football field. And uh, that may be high praise, but it is true. This guy is phenomenal. Jaden Wally, of course, his brother up at Mississippi State. And not to take anything away from Jaden, but this Justin Wally is just a different character, man. He's a playmaker on both sides of the ball. And Coach Dolan has a built-in advantage each and every Friday night uh, that he can plug and play. And this guy and Justin Wally is going to make a game-changing type play most each and every week, and that's proven out. So that just speaks to Hopperville's strong schedule that we're talking about. And we're talking playoffs, Jeff. you kind of got to look into – of the playoff picture, what the potential there is for Popperville in the first round? Yeah, uh, I, I, I just broke down Region Seven. If you know, people, a lot of people are listening. You know, or know about the region, Region Seven for it, which is Popperville's region. Uh, they've already clinched number one. Stone has clinched number two. So basically, the fight is going to be for the three and the four. And they got a couple di- uh, scenarios. Stone plays Forest County on Friday. Uh, if they beat Forest County, then they're the three, and the winner of Purvis and Green County will be the four. If Forest beats Stone and Purvis beats Green County, then Purvis will be the three and Forest County will be the four. And then if Forest can beat Stone and Green beat Purvis, and here's that, that team you just mentioned, Clay, Summerall would be the three, and then Green County would be the four. And Summerall, and that would be a, a, a if Forest County – can beat Stone County, and Green County can beat Purvis, Summerall will jump up into that three seed. And that's with Summerall, uh, Clay, being off for three weeks and missing three games due to COVID. Yeah, and when you look at who potentially Popperville would play, that's going to uh, be kind of the same domino effect. It could potentially be three different teams um, from the region that they're going to match up with. So we'll have to wait and see how that plays out on on Friday night. But that could be, uh, like I said, it could be three different teams. So you really can't scout ahead or look until we know the results on Friday night. I would encourage you, uh, if you listen to this podcast and you 
if you have any type of social media, go find Brandon Shields. Look at his Twitter account. He lays it out. He puts the work in, and and we reference a lot of his stuff here on this podcast. Uh, we have to reference, cite our source, and certainly Brandon Shields is where we get a lot of our playoff information. I think everybody <laughs> in the state kind of turns their eyes to him uh, late on Friday nights to see what what across the state. When you look down at the uh, 3A classification, just uh, to kind of look there, we've covered 6, 5, and 4A. Uh, locally to us, West Marion and Columbia – and McGee is going to make a lot of noise in the playoff pitchers uh, here in the South. Those three programs having really quality years. And uh, you certainly don't want to count out uh, Coach Mancuso's crew there with Jeff Davis. They normally make a push right about this time of year. 2A, Taylorsville, uh, once again, you can pretty much pencil them in as well this time of year. They're doing it again down there at the 2A level. And then Lumberton at the 1A level at 7-1, and one, putting together another great year. So, it's, if you will, it's your usual suspects as we look around the classifications and going to be some familiar faces, not in so much a familiar place. It's been a while since the state championship has been held at the vet, but that's what everybody's chasing after, a date in early December to uh, punch your ticket and have a chance to play in Jackson for those state titles. Yeah, and you was going through them schools, and and me just being me, of course, I was saying, dang, I've heard them schools. They were there last year, and that's what a lot of people that are listening uh, to this podcast and follow their programs and just love playoff, high school playoff action is going to say, well, them teams were there at the Rock last year. Well, them teams were there, you know, and that, like you said, familiar uh, faces, and then back in the old vet in Jackson, uh, the old uh, hollowed grounds where the state championship was held uh, for many, many years. So you're going to get uh, hear some familiar teams uh, all the way from six down to 1A uh, coming out the south uh, that's going to be back in there playing for that championship. All right, so let's jump out of high school football, Jeff. On the junior college ranks, uh, the Catfight, PRCC coming off a win over East Central head coach Seth Smith's first win then had a week off to think about and get ready for the cat fight uh, that's supposedly going to take place. We're recording on a Wednesday, supposedly going to take place on a Thursday night. I guess we'll have to wait and see kind of how this hurricane uh, treats our area here. But uh, that should be an interesting ball game. We'll be interested to see if uh, PRCC can kind of duplicate that same uh, result against East Central, you know that uh, Seth Smith and that group is going to bring the same energy. Will the same result take place on Thursday night? Yeah, and ever since the Mississippi the Mississippi Gulf Coast game, the first game of the season, they were in it uh, for a while, you know, battling out Mississippi Gulf Coast. And then Mississippi Gulf Coast shows you why they're the reigning national champions. They just come out and, and just, you know, put the, put the pedal down to end that ball game. And then when per- – Perfect Community College, when PRCC went to Colin, was in the ball game all the way up to the end, had some misfortunate breaks with some turnovers and, and maybe some penalties that cost them. But a game they very could have well come out with the W on, and Coach Seth Smith knows that. And then they played East Central, got the win. Uh, so they're, you know, like you said, got the week off, getting ready for Jones. So uh, Coach Seth Smith's no stranger to uh, playing and, and seeing what Jones has had over the years, being a former alum of PRCC himself and playing. Uh, so he's familiar with the cat fight, but 
man, a big ball game coming up uh, for the Wildcats. And, and I think good things are on the horizon uh, for the junior college. Yeah, I agree with you there, Jeff. You mentioned uh, Perk or Mississippi Gulf Coast, however you want to refer to them. In your comments, I just wanted to update our listeners and fans. They probably all already know this, but, of course, Perk has been uh, hit with with COVID somewhere around their program. So they've had to um, sit through uh, COVID and are going to sit this week as well. And so COVID uh, continues to play a part of our, our lives and, of course, our sports lives. So that's an interesting note, note there for Mississippi Gulf Coast as, as they try to play out their season, but COVID has, has played its effect here in the middle of their year. As we expand and look across uh, not only community college football, but uh, Division One football on Saturdays, uh, if you'll hold on in a little bit, you'll hear from Jason Baker, who's a member of our Popperville radio crew. But uh, more importantly, I guess, since we're off this week and Southern Miss will play, he'll have the call for ESPN of the Southern Miss ball game up at the Rock versus Rice. And so we'll let uh, Jason and his expertise and his uh, study talk to us about that Rice ball game coming up with our interview with him. But, Jeff, let's look at the other two in-state schools. Ole Miss 1-4 and four is going to go to Vanderbilt 0-3. Uh, and so who knows with those, with those teams locking up, but you would certainly, I would think, like Ole Miss's chances in this one. Yeah, I mean, we there's no we didn't have a doubt. Uh, I didn't have a doubt, anyways, when Ole Miss made the hire uh, with Lane Kiffin as the head coach that's going to wear the uh, headset and lead the ball club. I had no doubt in my mind that they would be putting points on the board, and we've seen Ole Miss put points on the board. The Alabama Ole Miss game set an SEC record, I think, for combined points. So Ole Miss is scoring the football. It's just their defense has been struggling. That's why the record is sitting there at one and four. But if you look at this one against Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt's had some tough ball games. Uh, Vanderbilt's been on the short end of the stick uh, for all these ball games. So you would definitely like – even that Ole Miss coming off the loss against Auburn, you would definitely like Ole Miss's chances against Vanderbilt. Yeah, um, you look at that Ole Miss-Auburn ball game from a week ago, of course, the co- – controversy did the kid from Auburn touch the football and Lane Kiffin and his comments since have earned him a a fine and then his comments after the fact have been hilarious on social media as well so if nothing else Kiffin's certainly very entertaining and put hey look he puts an entertaining product out on the field too at one and four that's a that's a good watch on Saturday is that Ole Miss Rebels uh, team and so we'll have to see how they play at Bandy, but you would like the Rebels' chances in that ball game. And then when you look at Mississippi State, one and three goes to Bama. Of course, Bama's undefeated at five and zero. Oh, and who can figure out State? State looked like just unbelievable against LSU, and since then it has gone downhill fast for Coach Leach and his first year in this Mississippi State program. Yeah, and the same thing I said about Ole Miss with scoring points, I thought the same thing about uh, Mississippi State. You know, Mike Leach is going to get a quarterback. I mean, every program he's been in, he's had a quarterback. They've been the big spread offense. They throw the football and they score points. And as you mentioned, they were lights out against Ole Miss, just looked like the better product, better team. 
Uh, I think the quarterback set uh, a record for passing yards and for uh, Mississippi State. But then they the next couple ball games they scored two points against Kentucky. They didn't do anything. Uh, and then you know, to set at one and three, uh, you can say it's pretty much a down year uh, or, or wasn't up to expectations so far this year what the people around uh, Starkville are looking for. And then, man, Bama's just rolling. I mean, seeing what they did against uh, Georgia, uh, you know, thought they would uh, be – I thought Georgia was going to play them a little closer to that, seeing what they did against Tennessee. Tennessee looks to be improving some in the SEC, and then Bama just went out there and played lights out. And then you, you expect that out of a, a Nick Saban-led ball club. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was sick to see the injury to Waddle Waddle, one of the more exciting college football players across the whole landscape, and to see that nasty injury for that young man was nothing that you – want to see uh this past saturday but yeah if you're sick and you're not well as a program alabama's not going to be the right medicine uh for you and uh that's what state will face this coming weekend speaking of getting well the saints took a bye had a bye week come off of that bye week and then just kind of scrape by over the panthers uh Probably about a foot, foot and a half victory they got uh, this past Sunday, huh, Jeff? Yeah, it was very – that would have, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that would have tied the ball game and maybe taken it uh, into overtime or, or pushed right. it close to it. But, uh, man, what a kick, too. <laughs> it looked like it went through, and then you see the replay and just a little short on it could have been a record-setting NFL uh, field goal uh, for the Panthers. But, it, you know, you watch the Saints and, and – I like to see the Saints win. You know, you want to see the Saints win, but you look at that ball club and you have to have questions. I mean, you can't keep going uh, to the well, I don't think, with Drew Brees, that offense, or just saying, hey, you've got to put up 40 for our team to have a shot. The defense is very suspect with New Orleans and has been for quite some time. Uh, So they've got – you know, got to turn it around. They play Chicago, uh, I think, at Chicago this coming up week. And then um, they go to Tampa Bay for the rematch. And then it, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Bucks have seemed to be rolling since that uh, that loss to New Orleans. Yeah, and that's you make a good point there, the way that Tampa Bay has been playing. So that'll be a fun ball game. Got to get this one. At Chicago, Chicago's sitting at five and two, but I don't know that I trust that they're that that good. You, you talk about the Saints uh, defense; that may be an offense you can kind of get well against in the Bears uh, offensively. So it'll be interesting to see. You know, when Tampa Bay signed Brady and Gronk, I went on social media and you throw stuff out there, and people either love it or hate it. But I said, look, I, I hate Brady division and everybody oh brady's washed up can't believe you would think this and that well look brady's kind of been what i thought he would be when you put weapons around him and they at tampa bay are a little scary at this point and so uh be careful what you wish for and what you say when you've been watching brady he may have looked washed up because he didn't have a soul to really throw it to those last two years in new england and now you see what that New England offense looks like. Yeah, and, 
you know, and if I'm not mistaken, if I read the standings right, I think they're leading the NFC South division anyways as of right now. And that just goes to show you, you know, you hear the controversy, you see the well, – I say controversy, you see the people talking on ESPN, was it Belichick or was it really Brady? You know, New England Patriots aren't looking real good right now. And it just puts all the conversation and the favoritism on Brady. He goes down there, and, of course, everybody was expecting him to light the world up against New Orleans. He had no preseason. They had no offense. It's hard to do a virtual offense with a football team and to get everybody on the same page. And they come out, and they look flat. And that's where all the conversation was talking about is he washed up, his arm, he can't throw it, he can't get this. But they've, they've just been – they've been rolling along. And when I say rolling, they've been uh, – putting points on the board and beating uh, beating the people's socks off. Yep, and Bruce Arias is a good coach, too. So, oh. we put a good coach and a good quarterback together. We've seen what that combination can look like right there in New Orleans. And uh, a really good team in Tampa Bay. And then, uh, Jeff, my son's 10, and he's a lot more resilient than I am <laughs> at each stage. And I don't really want to hear your opinion much on this, so. I'll, I'll, I'll preface it by this. We're at a distance, so we can't actually get into it like we need to on this subject. But what I'm babbling about is most of the time I would have set this World Series out. But my 10-year-old baseball fan and huge Braves fan, he said, you know, Dad, we can get over that heartbreak and enjoy the series. And, Jeff, I tell you, I'm glad that little joker taught me into enjoying this World Series, man. I'll tip my cap. Well, no, I won't. But the Dodgers won it. But that was a lot of fun to watch over the six games, man, of a fun World Series. Yeah, and I, I didn't watch much of it. I'm not I'm not as big of a baseball fan. I'll I, I watch it when it gets to the postseason and playoffs. But uh, congratulations to the Dodgers. I think it's been 1988 since they've won the World Series. Uh, but, man, you've just got to give credit to Tampa Bay. Tampa, you had more – Dodgers are sitting over here at one of the highest payrolls. Tampa Bay is sitting over here with, I think, the lowest payroll in Major League Baseball. And then for them to put out the Yankees and for them to put out the Astros and then make it to uh, the World Series is, uh, you know, nothing short of of a great year for Tampa Bay. I didn't – and I seen your post on social media earlier. I listened to the ESPN talk radio a lot. I didn't – analytics are a whole part of baseball, but – just real quick, I didn't agree with taking out the the pitcher last night just because the eye test had him rolling through the game. I understand about facing a batter more than twice coming around in the rotation, but who's to say? I'm not saying they if he left him in, they'd have won. I'm not saying if he left him in, uh, took him out, you know, because that would have been a game seven tonight and, and the uh, Dodgers was going to pitch Bueller. So, Bueller's been lights out for them this year. But just some controversy you're hearing on uh, social media and you hear on talk radio about the leave him in or take him out situation. Yeah, and Jeff, this may be a more popular podcast by some of the takes that I put out. You may would have been better. That's <laughs> good. Some of the stuff I throw out there on social media doesn't didn't receive well. I made a post on uh, both Twitter and Facebook, and what it basically said, and how ironic is it that Tampa Bay's manager, or what they do payroll, his last name is Cash. But So my only point about Tampa Bay, Jeff, and the stuff that I threw out there on social media is that's that dude's whole philosophy and what they're built on are the numbers. That's like right. Cash has been – I'm sure pushed down and said, 
you know, that's been pushed down to him. He's the manager. But when that iPad tells him to do something or their game plan goes in and says, look, I'm not going to let Bet see this guy a third time, well, then he's had the best record in the American League with one of the lowest payrolls for that reason. Like, the numbers have been good to him. Just like I know you're a gambling man, just like you don't sit down at Blackjack and because you've had that third uh, rum and whatever you may drink, say, well, I'm feeling frisky. I'm going to change my Blackjack rules. That's right. No, you stay with your numbers and you stay with what you do. So I get it. Look, I'm a, I've been a baseball guy and just followed, and I'm in love with bunts and running. I'm in love with what analytics has stolen from this game. So I'm not taking up for analytics, and I'm not taking up for what's been removed from baseball because of analytics, but I am taking up for Tampa Bay and for cash because without analytics and their payroll, you think they're about a 50-50 club. And analytics and, if you want to call it smart baseball by the numbers, has given them a chance to be in that game six. That's right. And – one of the guys, you know, because we've had him on this program, uh, former pitching coach and assistant coach there at PRCC, who's moved on. He's a Division One assistant uh, for a college there in Carolina. Made the comment, and it was like, or he retweeted a comment, and it, it was basically like, look, you've got to manage with Phil – and, like, I get the numbers, but this guy's cruising. But that that part to me, I think mine was it's hard to say both arguments. Like, I get it, That's man, right. the dude was just shoving it. Like, he was unreal. But at the same time, I respect Cash because his method had gotten him to a point and he didn't go away from it. I think he slept better last night sticking with his method. And, yeah, he's sick because it lost. Or if he says, nope, I'm going to go against everything that we've done all year long, let this guy roll through and see bets again, and then the same result. But that's just me, and that's a long-winded soapbox on, on what I put out there at social media. And so we may have lost dang listeners. <laughs> Every time I throw stuff out there, I get beat up on. But, uh, but that's why we get to do this, man, and that's why – it's so fun to us. I've said this before on this podcast, Jeff. Like, as a kid, I talk about my 10-year-old a lot on here. It would be a dream to host a sports show, uh, a, a sports podcast, and to get to do it. It may be flipping to some, like, hey, we'll just start a, po- a podcast or to do. But the time that you put into it to make it get out, the time that I get to do research and do it, it, it sounds silly, man, but it is a kick, kick in the pants to have an opportunity to talk sports and then to look out and know that people are actually listening. So I thank you and the listeners uh, for being able to have a take, get it out there, and, and people actually hear it. Yeah, well, and it just, man, to have the lineup of guests that we've had uh, over the past, I say five seasons, it's only really been, what, a year and a half, two years of actual recording, uh, but five seasons uh, of as we split it in the fall and spring sports. But the list of guests that we have uh, on the podcast that you, we reach out to and, 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 you know, invite them to come on and talk and there. And you asked me a while back of how long do we keep doing this? You know, how long do we keep going? And I said, we keep going until the guest 
don't want to come back on or the guests aren't excited to come back on. And every guest we've had is just thrilled. And, I mean, they just reach out and, and are excited to be on the podcast to push their team, to push their products. We have people that write that come on here with books to push their articles, to push whatever it is they want to talk about that we, you know, that we think the listeners will engage into. Man, the guests have been tremendous. And I think we got another one lined up for this episode, Clay. Yeah, we've got one um, that's near and dear to us, Jeff, a guy that we call a, a friend and a guy that we get to work with on Friday night. And, boy, that kind of segmented nicely, Jeff. I'll tip my cap to you. I'm talking about dreams coming true from my side and your side. And then this dude gets to work for ESPN on Saturday. I describe my 10-year-old, you know, we're of a generation where ESPN was it. It wasn't all the NBC Sports, Fox Sports, all this. You know, it was ESPN. It was locking down, getting in front of ESPN and watching SportsCenter. And so the guy we're going to have on next can be as humble as he wants to until he gets on here. But to uh, be able to work ESPN broadcast, he's earned that opportunity and uh, does a phenomenal job with it. He's also the voice of the Lady Eagles on the basketball side. He's filled in for John Cox. Uh, he's filled in for other announcers across the country. A Wake Forest or Georgia Tech broadcast comes to mind uh, that he's been able to fill in. So uh, it's a privilege for us to be able to work for him or with him on Friday nights and then to be able to hear about um, – his experience on ESPN. We'll dive into that with Jason Baker. Your family's health is our mission. At Highland Community Hospital and in partnership with Forest Health Systems, we're reshaping the mammography experience. We are the only facility in the region offering a 3D mammogram with the lowest patient dose of radiation, all with increased comfort and confidence. Our goal is quality care for you and your family through the compassionate application of advanced medicine. Highland Community Hospital, the best choice for your family. As we've talked about on the intro, now we're joined by Jason Baker. And uh, I just have to say this because I say this on Friday nights throughout this even 10 or 15 minute interview. I'll probably refer to Jason as JB or Babe, but that's who we're talking to. Jason Baker, the voice of the Lady Eagles basketball program for Southern Miss and then also. ESPN duty starting last year and continuing this year. Jason, thank you for taking time for us, bud. Man, I can't uh, can't believe I finally get to talk about a, a television broadcast, and uh, so looking forward to it, guys. Yeah, and so you mentioned it, man. What a weird time, JB. You you've uh, 2020. And we're going to get to football, but you the way you answer that, I don't script a lot of questions. I kind of let you lead it. But So COVID and the shutdown of sports, you were actually out traveling for the conference basketball tournament. Is that right, JB, or am I confused? No, that's, that's exactly right. On uh, March the 11th, uh, we played a basketball game in Frisco, Texas. I say we, that would be the Southern Miss Lady Eagles played in the uh, – Conference USA uh, basketball tournament got beaten overtime in an absolute thriller uh, by the Marshall Thundering Herd. And uh, we actually tried to fly home. We were the first game of the day in the Ford Center and uh, played at 11 o'clock, got beat. 
Um, and so therefore our season was over with, and, uh, this was all when COVID was really kind of beginning to get, uh, catch a little steam and, um, the team voted not to fly home. We actually chose to bus home, uh, which meant we weren't allowed to bus home that night. It, it cost us to stay an extra night in Frisco, which, uh, was, was plenty fine. And, um, at that moment, uh, John Cox, uh, the voice of the Golden Eagles actually filled in for a softball broadcast that same night against Mississippi State uh, in in place of myself. And I can remember talking to him about, well, I'm sure this will all blow over in a couple weeks and uh, we'll get right back. He can call baseball and I'll get right back to calling uh, Golden Eagle softball. And uh, I can remember riding on the bus ride home on Interstate 20 and just kind of thinking, you know, I don't know when I'll get to call another game. Um you know, and I promise I'll cherish it when I do. And uh, lo and behold, to me, that was the end of the softball season. That was the end of basketball season. Um, I've lost two football broadcasts through uh, ESPN due to it. Uh, they've actually been picked up by other networks. And uh, thankfully, I've had our Hornets uh, to kind of cling to with us. And uh, uh, so from that standpoint, for the Popperville Hornets, uh, I've been able to get to do that on Friday nights. But you're right, it was kind of weird, Clay, to, to – be robbed of uh, some broadcasts that um, through this pandemic, uh, I've really learned to appreciate them now a little more. Yeah, certainly. So uh, JB and you're never a one to take any of them for granted anyway. So that's, that's an interesting uh, note. When you look at it, JB 2020 has has been (laughs) such an adventure, but what in the world, the golden Eagles now, just yesterday learned that they lose their interim head coach to another university in middle of a, a week that he's coming off of sitting the game because of COVID. It doesn't get much more 2020 than that, brother. No, it's uh, it's really a peculiar situation, what's going on with the Golden Eagles. But um, if you if you break – that situation down a little further, you'll kind of be revealed uh, of maybe why it transpired. So, uh, of course, the move uh, by Jay Hobson, who resigned and stepped away as the head coach uh, of the Golden Eagles back on uh, 9-6, I believe just a couple days after um, the loss to South Alabama on that Thursday night. And then Scotty Walden, um, who's just a fantastic young coach. I'm at absolute pleasure. A- everything positive that you can say about him, uh, I-, I would echo that 100%. And um, Scotty's uh, an up-and-comer in the coaching ranks. He is very connected. Um, you know, I-, I think, just my opinion, um, I believe Scotty probably was indicated that uh, he wouldn't get this job, um, that they were going to go a different direction um, whenever that time may be, it's probably going to be, I would say, within the next 30 to 60 days. Um, and so for Scotty, uh, the timing of this allowed him uh, an opportunity. Uh, in Austin P, who's kind of had a weird situation themselves, they played three ball games. Their coach got into a situation that uh, was just labeled as a little unbecoming of being a head coach of that university. He was removed from that. They quit playing because they were done with their non-conference schedule, and they'll resume Ohio Valley Conference play in February. So they're looking for a head coach after starting the season to get ready to start another season. And they decide that head coach uh, is going to be Scotty Walden. 
Um, I don't think Scotty would have picked to stay right in the middle of a game preparation week. Um, but it is what it is. It's, as you described it, it is 2020. Um, and so he here he goes. Off he goes. And, uh, you, you know, when you really break it down, it's, it's, it's a young man that, that's looking out for his future, looking out for his family. Um, and, and certainly it's an opportunity that he couldn't turn down. For the Golden Eagles, unfortunately, um, it puts us with our third head coach of a, of a football season. And um, I've been trying to do some research ahead of Saturday's game. I'm unaware of any program that's gone through anything um, of this nature within the regular season uh, format. And uh, so far, I haven't, I've found none. I have not found a single university that's ever had three head coaches. Uh, in the same regular season. So that's what the Golden Eagles are uh, set to accomplish on Saturday. And uh, Tim Billings is a, is a great fill-in that head coach experience. Um, he was kind of a, a natural to be an in interim and named after Scotty. Um, so it is what it is, I guess, at this point. That it, it was certainly news to me yesterday, for sure. Yeah, and when you look at the way, and we've been complimentary, and he's been a, a guest on this show two different occasions, but – the way Jeremy McLean at the athletic director level has handled this has been beautiful. The way the the messaging from him on wishing uh, Coach luck, and, and there really doesn't – you've laid it out beautifully there as usual, but really for the way that it's played out, no resentment that can be seen or heard in any of the messaging uh, from the athletic director. So with it playing out the way it has – the relationships between the university and the coach about as good as it could be with the way that it's kind of worked out. Yeah. And, and Clay, I'll say this, and um, I plan to put this into the broadcast on Saturday at some point, however it plays itself, uh, presents itself and allows me to, to, to mention it. Considering the circumstances I don't know that there is an athletic director in this country that has done a better job this year than Jeremy McLean. He had the first college football game back out of this pandemic. They handled it beautifully for all intents and purposes. Uh, he's dealt with a coaching change. Um, everything from, from what's been reported, I don't, I don't have access to that conversation between he and Jay Hobson, but from everything that was reported, Jay Hobson stepped away from that position. It was not a, a termination of effect, right? So it wasn't Jeremy McLean walking in there and firing Jay Hobson. So uh, Jay Hobson resigned. So I think sometimes that gets lost in the details uh, in, in coaching changes. Um, then he gets a, a – he has a young and bright upcoming coach, and he gets a Scotty Walden on there, and, and you could see some improvement. Um, he has gone out and raised money and, and found a way that it was reported this week by Patrick McGee and the Sun-Herald. Um, they're going to increase this package, and it's much needed. Jay Hobson was the lowest paid head coach in Conference USA uh, with possibly the highest expectations. Um, and so, you know, Jeremy's gone out and done that. Um, and, you know, there's no book. I was on the flight to Frisco with Jeremy, and uh, I can remember he and I discussing sitting in the Hattiesburg Airport discussing, you know, what this would mean for college athletics and um, dealing with a pandemic and dealing with, you know, a virus of this nature and what it was going to do. And it was, he was telling me what sports were, were planning to probably get shut down. And 
Um, I just looked at him and said, you know, there's probably no book uh, in the athletic director manual that uh, covers pandemic. And he looked at me very clearly and said, no, there's not. And um, so he's, he's having to handle this much like everyone else, you know, day by day. And uh, yeah, you saw that mutual respect between he and Scotty Walden. Um, I, I will tell you a uh, big fan of both of them. Um, I, I don't have just this major open relationship with Jeremy McLean. I, when we see each other, we shake, we speak. He's very cordial. Um, I'm a fan of his. I, I hope he's a fan of mine, and he keeps letting me do what I, I'm so passionate to do. And uh, personally, I, I don't know that uh, you can go around the country and, and think about what ADs have been dealt with in, in a hand. And uh, this, 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 I call him young man. He's around my age. Uh, has been dealt with with quite a hand that he that he's trying to maneuver through and. And, and in the same process, he's conducting the coaching search as well. Uh, they, they hire a firm. I think that's a good thing and a search firm. And so he's kind of handling it amongst himself. And uh, he's having to handle that. Make sure this athletic department stays on the up and up. And, and they certainly are. Yeah, and I think that was good news. You pointed to it by uh, that report from from the Sun Herald and Patrick McGee and the pool of money for the assistants and the head coaching money. I think for Southern Miss fans, when we look at it, we don't always look at it uh, compared apples to apples on what we're paying guys and then what our expectations are. And so um, we've overachieved, honestly, many a year for what we've paid our, our football staff in particular. So that will be interesting to see the names that now roll around and what uh, what could come. Now let's talk about the task at hand, J.B. I know you've been prepping uh, for a while for this broadcast and then some things happened and you've had to re- re-prep. But tell us about the game on Saturday. J.B., tell us about what you know from uh, your research and studies on Rice, who's had a very interesting time as well in 2020. Yeah, it's <clears throat> this has been probably – you know, one of the hottest games I've ever prepared for in my life. Um, from any account, uh, Rice chose to delay the start of their season. Why they picked uh, the 24th of October, I have no idea. Um, that's never been released, but they did. They chose to start a home game against Middle Tennessee, an Eastern Division member in Conference USA. They chose with no fans in the stands. Um and so I've got a team that I've got one game's worth of prep on in the Rice Owls. And then you've got Southern Miss who's played five games and would have at this point played seven uh, had it not been for a hurricane and then a little small outbreak uh, of COVID amongst the Golden Eagles. And so Rice, I will tell you, just in my opinion, they may prove me you know, to be ignorant on this, but – um, I think they're possibly the best team nobody talked about in Conference USA. And uh, they lost an absolute heartbreaker on Saturday against Middle Tennessee um, at home, a double overtime game. They had a couple of opportunities to win it. They gave up a pass, gave up a field goal right at the very end of the ball game um, uh, to tie it. It was 34-31 after Rice took the lead on Middle on a, on a 20-yard touchdown pass to take that lead and then Middle Tennessee in 34 seconds goes down the field and is able to get um, a field goal and tie it. And then Rice gets a chance to kick a field goal from a pretty good field goal kicker that's a transfer from Stanford. He misses those two field goals through overtime. 
um, in, in Rice has dealt a double overtime loss, but uh, they returned 10 of 11 starters on defense. Now, not all of those players are currently back. Um, they've got a couple of nagging injuries that came out of their fall camp, but uh, when they are 100% healthy, they would have 10 of 11 starters back on defense. They probably have the best single linebacker uh, in Conference USA, a young man named Blaze Aldridge. Um, he had his first career interception against the Golden Eagles a couple years ago in the Rock. I was on the call for that one. Um, he's an absolute animal uh, from the linebacker position, can can do everything, cover, blitz, pressure. And then they get a fifth-year kid in Mike Collins, a transfer from TCU, who in his debut goes 18-35 with four touchdowns and one INT uh, in his Rice debut against Middle Tennessee, the guy that played against Oklahoma, played against Texas, had a debut against Kansas when he was a Horn Frog, kind of a dual-threat kid, a little bit of a dual-threat kid. Um, and so uh, they return a lot of starters on the offensive line. Um, they have uh, one of Conference USA's best receivers in Austin Trammell. So, um, and, and frankly, they're coached by a head coach that's an uh, up-and-coming star as well, Mike Bloomgren, who was on David Shaw's staff out at Stanford. Um, I had an opportunity to speak with him yesterday, and he's just a pleasure. So it's a good football team. Um, the guys out west that, that kind of try to predict these games think it's going to be awfully tight uh, between Southern Miss and Rice, and uh, I would probably agree. It's, it's got the makings, um, you know, to be a tight ball game. We'll see. It's, you know, the I guess the biggest question mark in the room is, is how does Southern Miss respond with the week they've had. You know, you went Brent Musburger, man, the old reference to the guys out west. I love it, JB. And, <laughs> hey, and when you look, you mentioned uh, you mentioned Southern Miss, a uh, uh, tough loss at Liberty, man. But if you could bottle up about a quarter and a half of what Southern Miss was able to do, and I'm not going to put you on the spot with COVID or injury or whatever, but Southern Miss certainly made that road trip shorthanded. I'm not sure if that's going to improve any on Saturday or not, but for a quarter and a half there, maybe played the best football that Southern Miss has played in a loss to Liberty. Well, and I'll give you some news here on the Talking Ball Y'all podcast. You will see Jack Abraham back, if that's kind of what you're referring to. Uh, Jack was out with COVID his his 10-day uh, quarantine time ended uh, yesterday. He practiced yesterday. Um, he says he feels okay, that he was still uh, a little bit winded. But uh, we'll see Jack back. But you're right. You know, they, they come out and, you know, for all intents and purposes, they were left for dead, right? I think it's 28-7 um, at the half, uh, I think is, is what it was. Um, they pop That's out of where the I left quarter. them, JB. I'm <laughs> exactly where I'm <laughs> yeah, well, well, thankfully the guys in that locker room didn't, you know. I think, uh, and, and this this will be something that that not a lot of people will discuss, um, but it's worth noting. I think this is where a veteran presence and a Tim Billings was able to get get into that locker room, make some adjustments, and come out and have that team ready to play in that third quarter. Still down twenty eight to seven, and then all of a sudden, you know, they wheel off twenty one unanswered points. And uh, then they find themselves, what, just down uh, seven points, I think, at the end of the third quarter. I think Liberty had, had responded back after that uh, and winds up getting the lead back 35-28 at the end of that third quarter. And uh, Liberty's a good football team. Um, I, I went and yeah. looked at several ballots around the country, and 
Um, there are multiple writers across this country that are that are penciling them inside the top 25, and uh, rightfully so. The Willis quarterback they have is an absolute dog. I got the chance to kind of review that tape, and uh, he's he's as, as good as advertised. And so, you know, that fight kind of gives you some hope that uh, this Southern Miss team on Saturday will respond and, and sort of look the same way. I think that's sort of our hope. Um, certainly, I think it's for the hope for those uh, that are pulling some black and gold on Saturday that uh, they'll respond because it can go one or two ways. This, they can utilize the adversity that they face this week uh, and kind of, you know, even cinch up even more as a collective group and play together uh, and play inspired football and know that uh, they still have. Now, now hear this, and, and people are probably going to laugh me off this podcast. But they still have every goal they possibly could want in front of them. They can still make a bowl game. They can still win the Conference USA Championship. They have to win out to do it, but it's, it's a possibility. Um, in, in a couple of those games, they're going to catch them at home. And so, um, you know, they still have a lot to play for. Um, or they can take this adversity that they went through this week, feel sorry for themselves, and, and not necessarily understand maybe how this will truly affect them in, in the grand scheme of things, I don't know. I think it's more to kind of make a big deal out of it, and it really truly is. I think they'll be who they are. They didn't lose their coordinators uh, who were calling the plays anyhow, and so um, they should they should look like the Golden Eagles look. Now, is that good enough to beat Rice or not? I think it depends on the intensity level that they bring in the game on Saturday. Well, the cool thing about it, JB, and this is why we love sports, we'll find out on Saturday, and you'll have it all laid out right in front of you at the Rock. There won't be a better prepared uh, broadcaster on the call Saturday. I can promise that. And so can't wait to listen uh, listen in, watch in as you get an opportunity, man. So proud for you. And uh, we catch the week off on Friday. Coach Beach and the crew have, uh, have done that just so you could get it a little extra rest <laughs> and prep for this Saturday's call. Yeah, I appreciate Coach Beach arranging it where a hurricane would affect my day job, and uh, then all of a sudden he gave me a, a day off on Friday night to, to prepare a little further for the Rice Owls. But, uh, Clay, I thank you for the kind words. And, Jeff, I thank you guys for uh, just the, the blessing to get a chance to work with you guys on Friday nights and uh, then the support you guys have given me and, and watching these broadcasts and, and the constructive criticism back and, uh, I'll break in another color analyst this week. Former Golden Eagle Dustin Allman will be with me on the call. He's a, a great guy down in the New Orleans area. He's dealing with the hurricane uh, as well. So both of us are, are having a week and kind of running and scrambling. And uh, uh, But uh, we're, we're prepared and we're ready and, and looking forward to calling a, uh, a great Conference USA uh, football game Saturday. And, and for those of you tuning in that pull for the black and gold, hopefully – um, maybe just maybe we can we can bring them a little luck. Well, thank you, JB, man. As we always say, have a great call, brother. Thank you, my man. Y'all y'all take care.